1: The advertising show is being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The advertising show powered by a really cool platform offered by the good folks at shipple.com. It's a platform called Tendency. It's an incredible marketing platform. That's S C H I P U L.com. Ed and his crew do an incredible job and have been for years for the advertising show. We thank them very much for that. The advertising show, a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production, that means you. Can't take it and do whatever you want with it, right? Okay, now we got the legal stuff out of the way. Got an encore show for you today. Lisa Hirschman is a co-author of Faster, Cheaper, Better, and why wouldn't that be a good thing? We know you'll enjoy the interview here on the Advertising Show. Correspondent with Ray and Brad on the Advertising Show, and a very special guest Uh, on the on the road this weekend. But uh, Lisa is uh, CEO of Hammer and Company. Hammer and Co.com is their website and also uh, has a brand new book out which is a really great book it's a it's a business guide called faster cheaper better the nine levers for transforming how work gets done and uh, Lisa it is such a pleasure to have you here on the advertising show welcome
0: well thank you and Ray it's glad I'm happy to be part of your show
1: thanks Yeah, we're going to get into the nuts and bolts
2: of your book because it's jam-packed with some great information. Uh, In your book, Lisa, you call Faster, Cheaper, Better, the elusive holy trinity of business. I take it you were raised Catholic?
0: (laughs) Actually, I was.
2: (laughs) Well, now that we've got the religion aspect out of uh, the way, you know, let's talk a little bit about uh, why these three ideas are so desirable in today's marketplace. When I first saw the title of your book, Lisa, I thought, okay, faster, I get that, better, I get that too. But cheaper, uh, I was having a bit of a trouble with. I I was trying to outsourcing, Brad outsourcing. Yeah. Well, I was asking myself: uh, Is cheaper universally desirable by all? I mean, I think BMW, Louis Vuitton. There are many out there that might disagree with that.
0: (laughs) Well, you have to think of it not necessarily from the aspect of price, but also from the internal side with how much, uh, how much are you spending on your infrastructure costs and so forth, and is there a way? That you can reduce those costs to free up hardworking resources to do more profitable, more value adding activities.
2: Well, I think that's fair enough. So, more efficiency, not necessarily cheaper, but maybe that term has a negative connotation, and you're really talking efficiency. So, in broad terms, why should the combination of these three ideas, Lisa, be so desirable in today's marketplace?
0: It used to be said in the past that of the of the trilogy, pick any two, but you can't have all three. And when you're moving toward more global markets, you have very intelligent, well-informed customers and suppliers. In order to remain competitive, remain connected to your customer, and add value, you really need to, and, and to stay in business, you really need to find a way to manage all three aspects to remain competitive and grow and even innovate.
2: You know, early on in your book, uh, you you discuss this concept called end-to-end process. If you could, Lisa, describe how this process targets uh, different problems and, you know, it's a totally different technique than such more well-known ideas or concepts such as the six, six, Six Sigma idea. And you say Maybe it's a little different way of approaching.
0: What happens in most organizations, and this it doesn't matter whether you're talking profit, not-for-profit, we have a tendency to organize by departments or functions. And as a result, we set targets for those departments and functions, and we manage for hitting those targets. But at the end of the day, your customer doesn't really care how well the marketing department's doing or the engineering department. They want to know what's the end result. What are you delivering to them? And so if you look end-to-end, you're focused on the end result. You don't get caught up in those individual, as we call, silos. And the silos become the master rather than the end result and what impacts the customer that should drive. Uh, how you work and how you set your targets and even incent people
2: you know i think that's so important start with the comp uh start with the, your customer, customer i suppose yeah, right. and, and work your way back uh, before we uh jump into the nuts and bolts as i said earlier with your book let's lay some groundwork if we can you introduce an idea early on called process design if you could do Briefly to define this for us, Leith. So what is it? How does it work? Um, how, who does it apply to in today's business?
0: Oh, it's a great question. It actually applies to any type of business. We have the, one of the fun things about my job is I get to work with everybody from the U.S. Air Force to Clorox to Cirque du Soleil and the Church of Latter day Saints because every organization has processes. And the concept is. When you identify those end results, and they should be in two areas. What does the business need and what does the customer desire? And when you have those end results, then you want to design your work accordingly. I'll give you an example. We get caught up in the way we've always done things, and we have an example of an organization that makes and ships tires. And they wanted to be more efficient, so they bought a piece of equipment that wrapped the tires rather than doing it manually. They rolled it out. Everybody was excited. And someone in the back said, why do we wrap the tires? (laughs) Well, back in the day, we sold white walls, and we wanted to keep them clean. But that work was memorialized, and everyone was trained the same way, and we got used to it. And the question is, are we focusing on the results and what's necessary? And let's examine those steps to get there.
2: What an interesting idea. You know, I don't know if you've heard the uh, the uh, idea. I heard this, gosh, 30-plus years ago, and it stuck with me. And here you're giving a, a great example today. The the husband saw the wife cutting off the end of the roast before she cooked it and laid it on the side of the of the pan and put it in the oven. He asked, why do you do that? And she said, I don't know. My mom always did it. Mom was asked. She said, I don't know. My mom always did it. They got back to the grandmother. And the grandmother said, I never had a pot that was big enough to get the entire roast dinner, so I always had to cut the end off, and it's the exact same thing that you're talking about. And I think that holds so true in in business that just bears their head down and doesn't really look at at what's going on. Let's jump into talking about some of the process design steps that you illustrate so well in your book. Like many other business uh, techniques, if you will, there are steps that you recommend in your book. And again, a great book. I recommend all of our listeners go out and check it, uh, purchase it through Amazon or various other uh, channels. Let's, Let's go through some of these steps, starting with get organized, mobilization, as you call it.
0: Yes, and that is what what is it that is if you were to change something in your organization, what would have the biggest impact? So gathering data and and, and this can you know come from a variety of areas. Maybe you're seeing business drop off as a result of, of an activity or maybe you're getting customer complaints about something. And so understanding what's the data what is the voice of the customer maybe you're seeing internally costs go up where where does it make sense and where will you have the biggest impact to delivering value and that's that mobilization piece what what process do we need to look at and uh, that will have a big impact to the customer that's in essence the mobilization
2: and are you saying get oriented meaning get more focused on your customer, as you were talking about earlier?
0: Yes, exactly. What does the customer want? I've seen, I've done exercises with groups where I have the sales force write down what the customer wants, and with the customer in the room, I hand them the marker and say, now circle what they got right. And even though we may connect with a customer every day, sometimes we lose perspective and we don't keep up with what their needs are. And as a result, we're not servicing them in the best way possible.
1: Wouldn't you say that was true of most uh, service businesses and and, uh, the clients that you work with? A lot of people really don't get that?
0: Well, yes, we we become comfortable and we talk to some of the same people. And it's not just service, but also uh, product delivery as well. And I always encourage sales forces to, you know, you're not looking for... Uh, selling necessarily your product or service, what the customer wants is you to solve their problems. And if you can do it with your product or service, that's a win.
1: You know, you mentioned earlier that you work with uh, Cirque du Soleil or have worked with uh, uh, Cirque du Soleil. And I did a double take recently. Uh, there was the uh, Cirque du Soleil people, you think of them in Vegas or think of them in, in, in you know grand venues uh, for their magnificent shows and such. But it was Cirque du Soleil under the big top. And that kind of threw me. It's like, what? Under the big top? That uh, it, it, it didn't seem to fit. You know what I'm saying, Lisa?
0: Yeah, they are. They're a creative, very inventive group. And what's fascinating is we're helping them with their logistics process, with ensuring they get the right costume to the right performer in the right city at the right time. Hmm. And the process that supports it, and this would terrify me, would be weight management, because they have a plus or minus two-pound tolerance, And if you are plus or minus two pounds, those costumes don't fit properly.
1: (laughs) Really? Yeah. I I saw the same thing through my wardrobe, too. It's amazing how that is so coincidental. Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth on The Advertising Show with our special guest, Lisa Hirschman, CEO of uh, uh, Hammer & Company, and also uh, the co-author of a brand-new book, a great book called Faster, Cheaper, Better, The Nine Levers for Transforming How Work Gets Done. We'll get some more work done, and we'll continue on with our interview here in just a moment on The Advertising.
0: You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Schillens and Brad Forsyth. Hey, Columbus, we can't turn back without an order from you. I'm not talking while the flavor lasts. What are you chewing? Peach nut gum?
1: Welcome back, Ray and Brad, on The Advertising Show with Lisa Hirschman. Lisa is CEO of Hammer & Company, hammerandco.com and the author of the book called Faster, Cheaper, Better, The Nine Levers for Transforming How Work Gets Done. Need to get that book. Lisa, it's a pleasure to have you here at the Advertising Show.
0: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you.
1: Yeah, and Lisa, just to wrap up the process design
2: techniques with the final two of those, get crazy and get real. Can you explain those, please?
0: I can. Well, the get crazy is really the fun part. And what. There's a big misconception in many industries that to innovate, you have to innovate your product or your service. And what we say is you can do some tremendous innovation with how you deliver your product or service. Dell is a great example with the way they were customizing uh, units to send to customers and being able to cut down cycle time tremendously. We write a lot in the book about progressive insurance And how they didn't really revolutionize the insurance policies, but how they delivered them to their customers was was a great innovation and a disruptor uh, in the industry. So you can that get crazy. You get people thinking very creatively, and you give them, as we say, the rule, the the authority to break dishes. Some very unique ways of taking your business to the next level can happen. And the get real is now that you've got this innovative approach, how do you implement it? And how do you ensure that it becomes part of the everyday delivery so that your customers feel that consistency and rely on uh, exceptional service?
1: I think the get crazy concept is a very uncomfortable place for an engineering student to go. Are you? Uh, you feel pretty comfortable there, though, don't you? <laughs>
0: Well, you know what? There are people from all different viewpoints, whether it's a very disciplined like engineering or you have people that are more creative. We actually recommend that the team be structured from those that have more of a technical background, non-technical, have maybe been with the company a long time, and those that are newer to get some of that creative flow of ideas happening.
2: You know, uh, in your book, you, you're quoted as saying the principles of process design will not give you a complete process design, but rather they will give you an idea for a process design. So, going back to your, you know, your idea of how you implement process design, what, that that sounds a bit counterintuitive to probably most.
0: Well, what folks make the mistake of is you cannot design one single process for every situation. So, what we encourage people to do is to look at 80%, 80 to 85% of the time, what is the process? And we encourage the deviation for some special customization, but what you want to do is deviate when it's necessary, but get back to the standardized if possible, because what the customer wants to feel is uh, they want reliability and, and the same thing to be, you know, they, they expect a certain level of delivery, and you want to um, deliver that consistently. So we recommend that you, imp- you design end-to-end, but you implement in waves or segments or by customer or by um, product line so that you can ensure and test it to give the uh, output that you want and then continue to add to that in terms of implementation.
2: Yeah, you started off a chapter entitled Measure for Measure Perfectly. I'm, not, I'm quoting from the book now when you say every self-help and twelve-step program known to mankind begins with the same premise you must admit you have a problem before you can begin to solve it now my thinking immediately was if only all businesses and charlie sheen thought this way lisa Uh.
0: (laughs) that's true and we measurement is very difficult because it becomes personal our compensation our reward systems are tied to how we measure productivity measure our activities and so when you start to talk to people about changing the measures, when you say the, the results aren't good, what they hear is you're not doing a good job, what we emphasize is look at the process measures and try to take that personalized piece out of it and are our measures really aligned with the outputs and the results we want. Sometimes we pick measures that actually drive behavior counter to the results that we want, and it can be very frustrating.
2: You know, I'm going to save for next segment uh, a discussion about the seven deadly sins of measurement because you not only include that in your book, but you also have a nice uh, article that pretty much uh, consolidates all of that that I believe was written for one of the business uh, online publications. But to wrap up this segment, as with all great ideas, Lisa, there always has to be someone to manage it. So who's the one that gets assigned the task to manage process design? Is it always the guy at the top or or gal at the top, or can it be uh, uh, delegated to someone of lesser position?
0: Well, it's always, always best to have a leader engaged, and it's someone of influence because our research shows that when the leader isn't there to help tie these activities into business results, it fails. Certainly, things can be started literally from the ground up, but unless you get a leader engaged, they're not going to give you the resources, time, money, focus, priority necessary to really achieve huge results, and that's what we're looking at.
1: So it's not Joey in shipping. It's somebody a little bit more qualified there. I understand that. Faster, cheaper, better, the nine levers for transforming how work gets done. How about you and your business uh, or your products or services that you uh, manufacture and sell? But stay with us for more of the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe coming up next. It's called Faster, Cheaper, Better, the nine levers for transforming how work gets done. And its co-author is Lisa Hirschman, who is also CEO of Hammer & Company. And we're uh, so happy to be talking with Lisa today. Lisa, it's great to have you here.
0: Thank you. It's a pleasure.
2: You know, I can't uh, encourage our listeners enough to check this book out. It's just jammed back with uh, great, great information and uh, too much to cover in today's interview. But I'm going to jump ahead. In your book, you note that most companies on the journey to becoming a process-centric organization won't have the luxury of hiring an entirely new workforce sounds reasonable, of course. As many sure. CEOs might want to fire their entire staff and start all over, it's just not real. Uh, to, so, if you're going to go out and handle uh, an, an evolving infrastructure and impl- uh, implement a new process-centric organization, Lisa, you say this is where the 206020 rule comes into play. Can you explain that for us?
0: Certainly. This what we're talking about here is quite a bit of change within an organization. It's changing the way you think about how you work and, and how the work gets done itself. And our research indicates that there's a 20 20 distribution. Twenty percent of the people will love this. They'll be very excited, and it sounds new, and it'll take the business to a whole new level. The, the other 20 percent will hate it no matter what. Say this is too much. It's not necessary, etc. And here's what those two groups of twenty percent have in common: they're both influential. And it's mm-hmm. the sixty percent in the middle that will be looking to both sides to say, which one, which camp do I want to be in? And that's where you want to focus: is those folks? How do you bring them over and show them the value that can be obtained through lo- looking and running your organization from a process standpoint?
2: Well, let's return to metrics for a moment. You discussed the seven deadly sins of measurement. And let's touch on a few of these today. And here you explain what, how, uh, why they affect the company so negatively, beginning with the all-too-familiar vanity.
0: Yes, that's when you are looking at... Uh, metrics and performance from your eyes rather than your customer's eyes. And that's one of our favorite examples is most companies capture and measure on-time shipping. However, you're, as a customer, really care about when it's delivered. And there's a gap there. So, you know, what's important to the customer is on-time delivery, but we usually have a tendency to capture shipping instead. So it's from the viewpoint.
2: And then I'm going to skip ahead here. I I thought maybe narcissism sounded similar to vanity, but it's not, is it?
0: It's it's um it's very similar in that we Want to make sure that we are um, showing metrics that, and there is a good tie-in because vanity also is we focus on the things that make us look good, and we know we can achieve. Narcissism similarly is well, you know that delivery piece may be hard, but me- but shipment is good, so I'm going to look at it from the shipment side. You know, one of our favorite examples is if you order something and you get, say, you order a bicycle for your child. And you get 99 out of 100 pieces. Well, the company's patting themselves on the back, saying we got 99 percent. But if you are not, if you didn't get the seat delivered to you, that's zero because you can't use the bike.
1: So baseball, in general, should be pretty down on itself right now, right? <laughs>
0: it's all about what's important. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: You know,
2: with uh, people working more hours and harder and mobile and computers and laptops following people around during their off time, I think many would be surprised to see laziness as one of your uh, reasons behind how a company can be affected so negatively. What, what's that about, Lisa?
0: Well, sometimes we get too comfortable. As we talked before about the customer and what the customer wants we get comfortable in, well, you know, we know that we've been delivering that for a long time. They haven't told us of any changes. And most organizations, when we ask about their measures, they're very internally focused, usually financial. We don't find effort to, even at the highest levels for corporate goals and objectives, we don't see a lot that pertains specifically to the customer. Other than customer satisfaction, some of the more tangible. uh, You don't see that too often. It's growing, though, things like perfect order. And so we also get in the habit of measuring what our IT systems will capture, that data that's captured from the system, rather than is it really giving us the insight and the information we need, it's what the system will capture. And that's a little bit of laziness.
2: You know, uh, to figure out what the other, or to discover what the other uh, seven are, in addition to pettiness, frivolity, and others. You're going to have to read the book. So as a final question, Lisa, any last thoughts you'd like to leave our audience with today?
0: Well, I appreciate your interest. And, you know, we maintain, as I said earlier, that innovation, which is really what companies want to do to stay competitive, can come through the way you deliver or the way you work. And our tongue-in-cheek description of the book is how to take your head out of your task. And that's what we'd like people to focus on. <laughs>
1: well, that was a great name. That was a great name. Could have sold a few million more. No, probably not. I don't think so. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a great book, Lisa. And uh, we uh, are thankful to have you on the show today. watching want you to go get the book as well. Faster, Cheaper, Better, The Nine Levers for Transforming How Work Gets Done. Uh, you'll find it, as Brad was saying before, at Amazon and a bunch of other places as well. So, thanks again for being here today, Lisa.
0: Brad, Ray, thank you. It's been my pleasure.
1: On The Advertising Show, always a pleasure to be with you, too. I just want to say thank you for listening to The Advertising Show, being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com, and of course, you can visit us anytime for a ton of great interviews here at theadvertisingshow.com. The Advertising Show is a copyrighted Big Radio Midgets production. Talk to you next week. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. IWantMedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications, and it's updated daily. Forbes says IWantMedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com.